Hey there, it's your number one favorite listener, Gladys. I just want to tell you I love Ray Manta and the Golden Oldies Morning Show. I just wanted to say something to you though, Ray. I think you should stop talking about Mr. Elvis Presley so much. The way he gyrates his hips is just too provocative for your youthful listeners like myself. I also wanted to bring my 11th husband on the phone for a moment. Hank, say hi, honey. Hello? 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 Hank! Hank, say hi! Hello? What? Oh, Hank, such a kidder. Love your show, Ray. Keep up the good work. Hey, welcome to RushCast. I'm Jay Mantis. Thanks a lot for being here. We appreciate everything that's been happening with the show and all of the great feedback we've been getting. And I want to tell you that it's been a lot of fun for me. And I sort of take for granted the fact that there was a time when I didn't think I would ever know any Rush fans that were that had, like, let's say, a Rush fans that didn't crap on at least one era of the band's music. You know, the, the biggest Rush fan I knew hated everything after Hold Your Fire or whatever. Um, aside from Chad, of course, who I've known for a long time, I thought Chad would be the only guy. So it's fun for me that I'm getting like dozens of emails a week from people and a lot of new listeners too, who, who are just as big of Rush fans as I am. The other thing is I'm learning I'm not the biggest fan on the planet, which is what I always self-labeled myself to people. They say, do you like Rush? I go, I'm the biggest Rush fan on the planet. But now I have these guys, you know, calling in the show and, and emailing me and saying, I, I've been listening since 76 and I've seen them three million times and you don't even know this or you don't know that or you don't know what this the the different sections of 2112 are called <laughs> so people get a little angry uh this week i'm i'm upstate new york and I'm, I'm visiting my parents so today during this recording i have in the studio with me john greco my father how's it going excellent jay very nice to be here. Very nice to be here. Yeah, right. Is that your real voice? <laughs> it sounds different. This is my studio voice. Uh, j- <clears throat> You've been working on it, right? I have been a little. I'm having a hard time remembering your name, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a tricky thing, but people get used to it. Uh, so, I, recently I asked people to rate and review Rushcast on iTunes, because that does a lot for any podcast You'll, if you listen to any other podcast, you'll hear people begging you to rate and review on iTunes because it, it is a big deal for the show. Uh, so far, we have nothing but five-star reviews, and I'm really, really happy about that. I appreciate it. Uh, Dad, can you read the last... We, we just looked them up a second ago. The last two reviews, the most recent reviews, five stars, really cool um, to hear, and I want to I wanna share them with you. Well, I certainly, Jay, I'd be happy to do that for you. <laughs> Excuse me. This is getting like it. It might be too corny, Dad. I'm only kidding. Uh, the first one says rekindling a fire, and it is by Mick Monster, if that's how he's pronouncing it. He quotes: uh, "Being a longtime fan of the Three Magicians, who hasn't had a t- had the time to appreciate them of late, it was great to stumble upon this podcast of a relative youngster sharing his love of the band." with interesting and fresh content. Catching up on older episodes has lit a fire in me to go back and play things I haven't heard in a while. Great job, Jay. And we also have 
Well done, Jay. You have assumed control. I wonder, <laughs> I wonder where you got that line from. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this, that's by Chief Hobie. Okay. <laughs> Just stumbled across this podcast and became an immediate fan. Well done, Jay. You cover Rush well with honesty and integrity. Each episode is interesting and keeps us Rush fans occupied with great Rush trivia and interesting interviews and occasional good-hearted Rush debates. I've been a hardcore Rush fan since 1975 when my brother came home with a brand new Fly By Night album. Born and raised in Cleveland, by the way. Props to Donna and WMMS. Keep up the good work. Yeah, so now listening to you read those to me, it sounds like really uh, narcissistic of me. <laughs> not malignant narcissism. No, no, of course not. <laughs> but like, it sounds like, Dad, please read to everybody how awesome I am doing. <laughs> uh, I wanted you to read those because, number one, there's a Cleveland guy in there, and uh, you as a Yankee fan and me living in a Yankee world my whole life, this show is definitely far from Yankee-centric. Like, I've had... <laughs> I have between Ed Stenger and Donna and myself and now this guy, there's a lot of Indians uh, love to be to be shared. But as you know, there is a Yankee fan who is also a huge Rush fan who uh, lives in this house. So that's true, and we're all doing it wrong because none of us are Toronto fans. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. If if you guys keep oh hey, but speaking of Toronto, yeah. Ha- happy Thanksgiving tomorrow to all those Torontonians. So tomorrow's canadian thanksgiving absolutely we have canadian listeners and i i sometimes fail to acknowledge that or i fail to remember that and they say things to me that i uh i've had i've had guests on from canada and then for i'm like oh what state are you in (laughs) they say uh none none of them i think they call those provinces don't (laughs) they classic stereotypical american fashion (laughs) you must be from one of our states okay last week i had and, Dad, I don't know if you uh, were familiar with this. We did a digital discussion about what your favorite, your top three favorite live albums, okay? Mm-hmm. And it was per suggestion from other listeners. Uh, I mentioned that my favorite were Snakes and Arrows because of the way it looked, because of the way it sounded, um, the way the set was, what I mean by the way it looked. The set list I loved, and it was my first Rush show, and we had like great experiences there. So there might be an emotional thing attached to it. I think I, the other two I think I said were Time Machine because of songs like Marathon and the aesthetic on stage, Time Standstill, and A Show of Hands because of the set list. Do you have a few that stick out to you? Um, I would probably have to say Russian Rio, only because it was around that time that I started getting back into Rush, and I had seen them live before, but it had been years. And obviously, when you're up in the nosebleed seats, it's different than watching it at home on your TV and seeing, you know, Getty three feet away from you. But um, and it was also uh, that video brought out to me more of the comedic aspect of their personalities, which which I'd kind of forgotten about, and and it really uh, helped to bring my enjoyment of the group you know back to the forefront so you, know. so you saw them we think you saw them in 91 right we it, we've it talked was about either this the presto tour or the following tour because bones. the bunnies were on stage you did see the bunnies the bunnies were on stage we <laughs> uh 
so if the rabbits were there, the rabbits came back in one of the '90s tours, and I think somebody pointed out that was uh, counterparts when they came back, and one got yeah. shot and all that. So no, it, it must have been. Shoot, they didn't shoot him. It must have been Presto then. It must have been. Yeah. Uh, it was that era. He was playing the wall bass, and you know. Yeah, yeah. So, so you were there, but you weren't like a humongo fan. No. Nah, a buddy <laughs> took you. What happened? Here's how. Here's how it goes. If you want my quick rundown on the history of how I became a Rush fan. I <clears throat> I don't want to say how old I am, but I was uh, about 10, 11 years old when Rush first started performing and recording and uh, grew up in a house where classical music and opera was kind of <laughs> in the forefront. I was the youngest of six kids, as you know, but everybody else doesn't. And uh, so I did have a lot of uh, older brothers and sisters who uh, taught me the ways of uh, pop and rock music. Um, none of them were Rush fans, coincidentally, but... I did know of Rush, obviously, because I wasn't, you know, I have ears. Um, so, but they had this symbol of this five-pointed star in a circle that, you know, to me, man, oh my God, that has something to do with the devil. I can't bring that home to my house. My mother will kill me. So And naked men. Oh, wait, not to mention the naked guy. Yeah, jeez. So, hey, Mom, here's the, <laughs> I've here's this the devil's mom. naked butt. <laughs> I like his music. That would have been good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, not to mention the fact that that girl sang really weird. <laughs> Just kidding. Old when, joke. when you introduce... Uh, keep going. Well, remember, hold that thought. So anyway, long story short, um, I you know, I knew of all those songs that played on the radio and everything. And then uh, I realized they were pretty good, you know, musically. But, you know, I just didn't fully become a huge fan right from the start and um, as years went on and, and mtv came into existence i started seeing these guys and watching them play and their videos that came out um you know i started really appreciating what they did specifically because i played piano since i was five and when i was 15 i started playing the bass so here i am a bass player and a keyboard player and there's this guy in this band playing bass and keyboards it and was like you, and you had the nose and i had his nose <laughs> i don't think i did at the time i and think I, I grew into that so your defense is not nearly that bad it's not thank you i appreciate that <laughs> but anyway i didn't have the hair though my father was a barber i always had short hair sorry about that but i could have got a wig but anyway so so musically, as I started playing in a band myself and getting into more, you know, stuff, yeah, I, yeah, I started really appreciating them a lot. And then um, you knew, yeah, you knew of them. You knew their radio stuff. Right. You didn't know what anagram for Mongo was. Right. No, no. <laughs> Couldn't have told you that. Before, yeah. You know. uh, and then later, you got a new bass. Yep. I. Uh, you so asked for a, a black and white jazz. I bass. didn't ask for anything. I didn't even know I was getting this thing. Yep. For my fortieth birthday, my wife surprised me with a new Fender jazz bass, which. I always said I, if I ever got a new bass, I was going to get a Fender Jazz. And here's this beautiful black and white Fender Jazz with the black inlays in it. And I'm looking at it. I'm like, wow, this is beautiful, right? And we're, we're in a group of people, so I, I'm all right. Now I put this thing away so it doesn't get damaged. And later on, I pull it out and look at it again. And I turn around and it says limited edition. And I look up at the headstock and there's Getty Lee's signature. I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> did she do this on purpose? She bought it because she liked the way it looked. Not knowing what she bought me is like... Now, I don't know if you know this, but I was there when she bought it, and I knew nothing about bass guitars. Mm-hmm. I did, you didn't teach me bass until you had two bases. Until after that, right? Uh, <laughs> and I remember we walked into the store, and Mom said, I'm, I need a black, black and white jazz bass. And of course, there are black and white jazz basses there. Mm-hmm. There are standard Mexican jazz basses. 
And he said, well, here, here they are, and these are okay. You know, that's what you're asking for. But then there's this one, and it's like a little bit more money, but it's the quality is off the charts. <laughs> and she was like, all right. And he said, do, do you want to play it? <laughs> like, you're just going to buy it? <laughs> and she's like, I don't know how to play it. And she looked at me, and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> so it, it was like fate, I guess. Yeah, that's true. But that, that was also the catalyst to really really get me back into listening to rush and and uh now i had getty's bass i could sound like him right and then and you get rio was one of your our first visuals right i think a butt you borrowed rio yep friend of mine at work there's your bass like yep it looked just like it it back then yep and uh great to see that and and you know so that got me into all the songs i knew all came back but i also got into all the ones i hadn't heard or hadn't heard in a long time or barely heard and and what a different sound and look from presto right to the vapor trails tour oh my god yeah, yeah especially bass wise like his yeah. bass sounds so much different i have to admit though neil hadn't changed neil was still as impressive back then as he was now yeah, and, yeah. you know obviously the whole band is but it's just uh you know it was great but i mean going back to the original question about the videos i mean that to me was had a lot of cool aspects the whole aspect of them going to south america for the first time and everything too but um Quality wise, obviously some of these newer ones are are even heads and, head and shoulders above Rio as far as the quality of the video. They focus more on what they were playing. Yeah. They tuned out the crowd. Rio, they really brought out that crowd going crazy. You see Rush for the first time, and 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 it was amazing how loud the crowd was in those. But you know, still that's you right. Gotta, you know, that I was had so the, many things to say during that, and I don't remember any of them. <laughs> You need to get a pencil over I there. I do. Right? I have the notebook and everything. Yeah, Toss really. me a pencil. Thank you. <laughs> uh, now, while we're talking about Rio, let me look at my notes. I want to, yeah. Uh, we have a new listener who emailed me, and I, I didn't get back to him yet because we had a bunch of emails, but I'll, I'll mention him here. Mick Wheeland is a new listener. Thanks for listening, Mick. I also think you're probably Mick Masta or whatever it was. Monsta. Ma- Monsta. Mick Monsta from the review on iTunes. Mick said he was at rush in rio the recording that's like that's a different thing than uh anybody else that's been you know i've I've heard from people who were at the first show at the vapor trails tour which was a huge deal and i'm super jealous of that people who were at the last r40 show that's a big deal but to be at rio like that world traveler too yeah for real like that's (laughs) that's that's far away uh he was probably three miles from the band or at least it could have been with how big that venue was, but mm. all right. So listen, I have the results from what you said, and I was most—I wasn't really interested when people suggested what are your top three live albums. I don't get as much from the live albums. I've said this before. I've been vocal about it. I'd—I'd I'd take a new album over three more tours. You know, I—I I like the studio stuff better. I think it sticks with you longer, and I know that right. people disagree with that, but. The I was most curious to see what everybody else said. Here's the results. Uh, and Clockwork Angels both got one vote. Now, it didn't matter if you said your top three order didn't matter. It was If you said it in your top three, I just marked it down. Okay? Uh, with two votes, Snakes and Arrows and Time Machine and R30. Five votes got uh, was a show of hands. All the World's a Stage got six votes. When I was getting these in, I thought for sure that one was going to win. Exit Stage Left got seven. Different Stages got eight. And Rio got ten. So, 
yeah, of course Rio wins. I could not believe different stages was getting so many votes. Mm. I talk about it all the time how I think the Test for Echo era is it's the most neglected album. It's it's a like the weirdest time, even aside from all of the, the tragedy. Like it right. was just a weird time in Rushland, and I'm shocked. But I have a theory, and I think that's because Test for Echo was so weird. And and you guys know me now, and you know what I mean by that. I love Test for Echo, and I defend most of it. But since it was so vibey, I think different stages coming out in the midst of all the tragedy was, for a Rush fan back then, must have been like, oh, like here's something else. Yeah. We have something else to work with here. This, this might be the last thing we ever see. Exactly. So I've said this before, and I, I think it's a good point. Yeah, I think my own point is a great point, you guys. Uh, you got to think back. You and I weren't huge fans in the mid '90s. Right. Uh, I was hardly even a, a child in the mid '90s. Uh, having Rush, your favorite band, come out with Test for Echo and go, "Oh, this is cool." You know, maybe it's like a tiny step back from Counterparts, or however you feel. Maybe it's a little bit of a step ahead. Carve away the stone is potentially the last song we ever hear from this band. <laughs> we have La Via Strangiato. We have The Necromancer. We have Moving Pictures and Subdivisions and Analog Kid. And Carve Away the Stone <laughs> is going to be the last thing we, they ever do. So when Different Stages comes out and you get it, the third disc on that album was a show from the 70s, which people were vocal about in their emails. They really liked that. And the set list was great. That was the other thing people loved about different stages. I was shocked to see so many people like vote for it, but that's my theory about it. Now, you, when I talked to you about this, about Carve Away the Stone being the last thing you ever hear, you brought up Billy Joel. <laughs> uh, I mean, you're, you were primarily a pianist and a huge Billy Joel fan. Right. Uh, a parallel to my Rush fandom, you are a Billy Joel fan. Right, right. And I know all his stuff. You know it a lot better. But you you said, <laughs> well, it could be worse. It could be worse. It could have come out with a song called Famous Last Words with the line, these are the last words I'll ever say. <laughs> and they were. <laughs> he never came out with another studio album so, again. That was 1993. 1993. Ah. Uh the record is uh, River of Dreams. River of Dreams. The last song is called Famous Last Words, and they were. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he came out and said, I'm done, you guys. Uh, so, yeah, it could be worse. And, and where does Famous Last Words for you, as a huge Billy Joel fan, where does it rank amongst all the other songs? The song itself? How is it as a song? Is it in the bottom half or the top half? Uh, rating it between on a scale from 1 to 10, I'd give it probably a 6 or a 7, maybe. Okay. But, I mean, it's it's not the best song and not the worst song. Obviously, I was hoping it wasn't <laughs> going to be a prophetic song, but it was. So, we're, we're talking on the same terms as Carve Away the Stone, then. Uh, I mean, yeah, basically. While a lot of people would probably take a huge dump on Carve Away the Stone, yeah. some people would argue it's, it's a middle-of-the-road tune. If you're listening and you think Carve Away the Stone is the best thing ever written, I would love to hear from you. <laughs> In fact, call my cell phone. I'd love to talk to you about that. <laughs> I mean, it's not a bad song, but like you said, it's not one of Rush's top. I mean, musically, it's it's there. Uh, lyrically, it's probably, you know, obviously all of Neil's lyrics have uh, a lot of thought behind them. So, you know, but that aspect you can say about any song. So, right. But yeah, it's it was definitely not a Tom Sawyer. <laughs> hey, Jay. 
just want to call in with my response to the most recent digital discussion. Uh, and number three, I have different stages. I kind of feel like I'm cheating. I, you know, I get all of 2112 with that, and I also get the third disc that has all the older tracks um, from the, I think, A Farewell to Kings tour. So that kind of feels like cheating, but it's a great album. Second has to go to All the World's a Stage. I love the live, uh, raw energy from their younger years. Uh, a lot of cool tracks on that, and uh, just, it's just so raw and so exciting. And last but not least, I have to go with Russian Rio. I love the insane amount of energy from that. The crowd was crazy, and that's the album that got me into Rush. So it holds a very, very special place in my heart. Uh, so yeah, thanks. Hey, in case you guys have never seen it, there's this really cool video out there on YouTube. I don't know who this guy is, but, he, but he's got a really good uh, video on how to get the actual Getty Lee sound on your bass guitar, <laughs> even if you don't have a Getty Lee bass, it's it's pretty cool. Some he's, dorky dude in some a some dorky dude. He's outside. You hear chickens or yeah, right. something <laughs> in the background. Roosters everywhere. Roosters. That's what it was. What a lamo. Oh, I know. <laughs> he plays guitar. Plays bass pretty good. Oh uh, yeah, uh, for 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 a loser, he does. <laughs> um, here is uh, Jason Vaughn again. Jason sends us a lot of stuff, but it's uh, I enjoy it. Here's Jason talking about something different. Hey, Jay, great job on your last uh, podcast uh, with Lauren. When you said you have a lot of Rush fans yelling at you right now, it's so funny because whenever you make fun of 70s Rush or Fly By Night or the song in the end, I do yell at the radio. So that was just really funny. Anyway, I wanted to ask you and your listeners a question. I always thought on St Signals and Test for Echo, the first two tracks should have been reversed. For example, on Signals, I thought Analog Kid should have been track one and Subdivisions track two. On Test for Echo... I think that Driven should have been track one and Test for Echo should have been track two. It's the only two albums I have an issue with. I just wanted to get your opinion on that and see what your listeners thought. Thanks a lot, Jay. Great job as always. Take care. The thing is, uh, I've been vocal about being very interested in song orders, okay? And while I don't agree that Subdivisions and Analog Kids should have been flipped, I think Subdivisions was such a hit. That and, and you look at Rush's first songs on their albums, they're all like the biggest on the album, arguably. And and while well, Analog Kid rocks harder and, and is it comes out of the gate faster, I don't know. And you you were talking about the first slot versus second slot. Yeah, yeah. Before I get into that, you just mentioned that Rush's first few songs you, it seems like they always release the first and or second song from an album as the singles. It's I don't know if they're producers are doing this on purpose or what as opposed to a lot of people that you know songs can be scattered through an album and be released as singles it seems like rushes are always the first one I've, or two i've read that the band is about the band enjoys making sure that the the song that best represents the album is first right okay however it now i just realized this now think about test again test for echo is weird in a lot of ways mm -hmm. the song test for echo is first on the album it's right. got the same name. Sure, it represents the album. However, that is very different than all the other first tracks from every other album. Right, right. Anthem, we're, uh, Finding My Way, right? All the way back, they're all heavy hitters. Yep. And think about how Tess Echo starts. Yeah. You know, it takes a while to get going. Yeah, it's you know? true. So that's like, Far Cry does not take a while to get going. Yeah. No. One little victory. I guess you could say Caravan, but that's that's a small intro. And then it, then it comes out of the gate. Yeah, yeah. So, but what was it you said earlier? Well, he was talking about reversing the order of the opening tracks, and I was uh, the point I brought up is that there's 
different theories on on how to do that and i've heard a lot of albums that have you know powerful songs first song is like hard rock and driving song second song is almost the opposite either uh, if depending on who it is it could be a ballad style billy joel's done that a couple times um it could uh could be you know just something that's pulled back a little bit or it could be the opposite sometimes they start with a song that is you know that it's kind of upbeat and kicking a little bit and then the second song steps it up a notch so it really all depends on how obviously personally the band is how you want to lay it how out how they want to lay it out because you know obviously they don't put them in the song order of how they've written them and yeah, that would be pretty strange to do but um you know if it's a concept album especially with some of the early rush ones they specifically had to lay yeah. them out a certain way but i'm really i'm just really interested in the way they order songs i've i've talked about with uh privately with my rush friends sister songs and i thought about maybe doing this you could tell me if you if you have thought of this as well if you're listening sister songs that are next to each other they're adjacent on albums uh, on the same album or on different albums so examples i always think when I first heard Power Windows, Territories and Marathon just kind of went together. They're right next to each other. I just always kind of thought they were sister songs. Like, they, they, meant, they were meant to be right next to each other. And I don't know what I even mean by that or why that happens. I, mm. For easier reasons to explain, uh, Mystic Rhythms and High Water, I always thought were sister songs. Or I guess cousins, because they're on two adjacent albums. However, they are both in the same slot. They're both dead last on the album. And think of the drum parts. Yeah, very rhythmic. Yeah, they're they're almost the same thing. Similar, similar feel to the song. Yeah, the vibe is almost yeah. yeah. Uh, those are just things that I've been conscious of. Uh, a couple more things about the live albums. Jeff Garrett had a good point, and he's been on the show, and uh, he's he's always inactive. He's always engaged in the conversation, which is cool. He mentioned how all the world's a stage was one of the ones he voted for because it was a bridge from early Rush into new Rush. It was a bridge from the prog stuff, the long stuff, into Permanent Waves and the rest of their career. Mm-hmm. And I think if I had to draw a one line, put one wall up to separate two sides of Rush, that wall would go up right before Permanent Waves. Right. From Hemispheres to the more radio stuff. Right, right. Um, it seemed like at that point is when they got conscious to the point where if we make shorter songs, they're going to put them on the radio, you know, and so let's write a song called <laughs> The Spirit of Radio. Right. I bet that would catch their eye. <laughs> yeah, what a, like a perfect way to represent I know. what, you know, and I don't think they did that on purpose. I think it was a coincidence, but like you it said, was, it no, worked it was, out. It wasn't on purpose if you listen to the lyrics. I mean, he's really kind of knocking the radio business. I can't and, imagine a time when... Rush was cool, or when Rush people was never cool, or or when people wore like Rush shirts. And you say like in high school, people that was the the band. It was the thing to do because they had this the Starman shirt, obviously. Yeah, caught people's eye and and was a little controversial, especially for the time. But that's one of the things I was gonna say earlier. I'm glad you said that. I read that uh, it was an old interview with Neil Peart. And he mentioned how this, and this might be common knowledge to other listeners, but the the pentagram is not the devil's symbol, yeah, right, uh, or the one on twenty one twelve. So he mentioned how the pentagram that we associate with Satan has the lines go through the entire 
symbol. Yeah. The entire shape. Whereas these cut in and out like triangles. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's tilted so that the one point is going straight down. You know what I'm saying? Instead yep. of up. Right, right. And also the circle, the points of the pentagram go right to the circle. And if you look at 2112, they extend past the circle. Yeah. So he's like in multiple ways... This is not a pentagram. It has nothing to do with that. Yeah. You're all just not on my level. But think, <laughs> this is essentially think, what he said. But think about it. That's that's Rush. They always push that kind of thing to the edge and to the limit and kind of like, here's, you think you're seeing something, but that's not what it is. Right. It's, there's like something behind the <laughs> <Right>. curtain. <clears throat> but that's, they do that with a lot of, lyrically speaking, I'm talking about. But uh, Have you seen the Mission Impossible movies? I have seen one. And parts of others. <laughs> okay, listen to this. What's up, Jay? This is G.J. Drew Mitchell. Just thought of something when you guys were talking the other day about Tess Fereco, and uh, I think it's always good to have an uh, example. The best example I can think of is if you watch the 1996 first film in the series Mission Impossible. Watch that film. Look at the technology, the styles, everything. And then if you watch one of the new ones, like Ghost Protocol... That's more like Clockwork Angels. So check it out. It's just a good example. Peace. So do you do you have any idea? Because I don't. I haven't seen the films. Well, it's been a while actually since I've seen it myself. But um, if he's talking about like a visual aspect of the movie compared to what you would visually see in your mind while listening to the Test for Echo and then the later albums. I guess I'd have to see the movies again to yeah, understand so, what he means. So I guess he's comparing the, he said the technology, So and the years were similar. Clockwork Angels, 2012, and 96 was the original Mission Impossible. Right. Um, so I'm sure someone knows what DJ, uh, DJ Drew means. That is fun to say. DJ Drew. <laughs> DJ Drew. Oh, but we had a ton of feedback. I haven't had an episode like this where I just have all this stuff to play for you guys. It doesn't, flow as good as i'd like it but I, i'd rather it not flow and have people giving me other things that they want to talk about so this is cool uh the next thing i wanted to share with you is uh last so dad last episode i talked about how dream you know dream theater mm-hmm. they covered and i didn't know this some of the necromancer wow. and uh primus did la via strangiato and i was surprised at that Judah Rice is a fan of the show, and he sent me a couple really good pieces of information. Number one is that Dream Theater has actually covered Tears from 2112, some very obscure tunes, mm. uh, Passage to Bangkok, different strings. Like these are these are not regular Rush covers. People don't set out to cover Tears very often. Right. Um, and good for them for not doing like Tom Sawyer. As cool as it, the Foo Fighters have been doing that on their tour, yeah. um, and that's super cool, but it, it is cool to see Dream Theater do something different. Judah also pointed out that, and I asked this question on the last show, at the end of Taishan, a song that none of us ever listened to, uh, or, or so that's the... Right. <laughs> I kind of like that song. Yeah, we're going to get to that in a second. <laughs> at the end of the tune, and I, I have a sleep playlist, that's another thing. I want to ask you guys, if you had to make a sleep playlist... What would you what would your ten rush songs be that you fall asleep to? Don't send those to me now, we'll do it at a different time. <laughs> uh but it's on my sleep playlist. So I hear the end of it often. There's these vocals that appear. It sounds like a female vocalist. As the song's fading out, you just hear this 
this girl just like humming or something. Well, Amy Mann was still probably in the studio and she was just like, you know, hey. You think so? I don't know. Well, that's what Judah, same album. Judah Rice confirms that and so did another listener. I'm sorry I don't have your name. I couldn't find the email. Uh, there were a few people who said, yeah, that's the vocals from Time Stand Still reversed. Oh my God. So like what a <laughs> bunch of goofballs on a, a goofy they song. They have a like, lot of studio time. Like Sean, and they're just like, what if we just like threw in some like crickets and you know a horse and some moos <laughs> just random sounds hey, remember that girl is saying the other song flip her voice around right can we make that sound awful and then put that in <laughs> at the end of this song wait get her get, oh she's over there floating around in the video hang on <laughs> <laughs> she's still flying for some reason uh let's talk about whole and thank you judah for um sending me that information i don't know how you knew that but other people said the same thing so i believe you that's really cool Let's talk about Hold Your Fire. Dad, you might be the only person. There have been some li- listeners who have said this too. Your favorite album, hands down, is Hold Your Fire. But you're an 80s keyboard geek. so <laughs> I am. <laughs> sorry, to, sorry to admit it. I started playing in a band during the 80s. I was the keyboard player in a band. And I started on this little cheap old Wurlitzer piano and then bought a synthesizer. And is it over here? No, that one's long gone. He's that point to my right, and there are like five keyboards in their so, cases. He hasn't sold sell three, any of them. Three. Some are classics over there. Don't okay. Anyway, the heavier, the the more valuable they are. <laughs> Sound quality, not okay. heaviness. As you know, the one but, in front of you is lightest. But what's funny is like a lot of these old keyboards have great rush song, uh, sounds on them. Yes. Because they were they were sort of <laughs> they universal. were the ones they used. <laughs> <laughs> But seriously, though, the thing about, I'm glad you brought up the keyboard thing, because, you know, there's a lot of controversy about Rush being a guitar band, and then they got into all these keyboards, and all this kind My opinion on any band, who especially a band that has lasted 40 years, is that if they're playing the same type of songs they're playing on their first album, they ain't going to have a lot of fans, okay? You go back and listen to the very first album... Then you listen to anyone 10 years after that, it is not the same band, okay? Yep. So way before keyboards got in the band. And besides that, there were keyboards on a lot of those early songs. Yep. Yep, so to me, keyboards was never anything new to Rush. So the fact that he had a little bit more of them didn't change my opinion on the band. It actually enhanced it more because, first of all, it showed the uh, musical ability of these guys. Holy crap, you know? Between, you know, you watch them play and sing and do all the stuff with their feet. Let's not even get into that. But um, but quality-wise, they've evolved. They, they, they've evolved musically the way they looked. Come on. You know, the kimonos were gone, and the, now you had a raccoon hair on Getty. So, <laughs> but the, the point is, is that for fans who stopped enjoying the band when keyboards became prominent... You're not, in my opinion, a 100% true fan because that era, in my opinion, I think I've spoken to you about this, brought out such a different quality in Alex Lifeson's mm-hmm. guitar playing. Yep. He had to make modifications because now the rhythm guitar was taken over by keyboard yeah, pads. Yeah, sonically, his space was taken up. Right, but it, it broadened his ability, and I think that is... is He's kept that in the newer stuff that has less yeah. keyboards because now they just evolved into better musicians through all that. Like and a beyond. good musician should. Like, exactly. Like a bad, uh, you know, a, a, a less of a person and less of a musician right. would, would have quit the band. Right. And what's, it, what's one of their biggest hits? 
subdivisions. What's the main instrument? Right. L- or Tom Sawyer. Or like, Tom as, Sawyer. As much, as much rock there is in yeah, Tom And Tom Sawyer. Sawyer came out way before the keyboard era. Yeah. You know, you're still, yeah. you know, that that is uh, existentially their best album in most people's minds. And, right. and, and, you know. But I have a really smart audience, which is cool. Uh, I know you I, do. I have, the, the people that listen to the Rushcast are people like us. And they're open-minded and they understand. Right. We all collectively, and I speak for 95% of the people listening, agree that Hold Your Fire and Power Windows were some of the best bass playing, some mm-hmm. of the best drumming, and the best guitar work. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and you, have to, you have to get through all the other the synths. And they're really... When, when people... When I try to like bring up a song that has a lot of synths to mm-hmm. make a point, I struggle to do it. Like... Quick, name me a song that has a bunch of th- synths on "Hold Your Fire." <laughs> and, and hold on, my favorite song, "Mission." Yes, your favorite song, "Mission." So it has a, an organ at the beginning. It's not really an organ. It's a synthy organ, right? Well, it's a yeah, yeah. And then it does have organ later on in it, but so I guess the chorus of that has a lot of synth. It's all synth, right? But that reason that's my favorite song, and we've discussed this, perfect is that balance. It has the perfect balance of every aspect of a Rush song. Every era almost starts out with the synthesizers, has a nice melodic, melody, a beautiful melody, beautiful <laughs> right. melody, and then I I used to do this when I first heard this song, telling everybody else how I used to crank it up in the car, and my boys would be there. I listen to this, listen to this beautiful song. Hold your fire, and then bam, it would come in so loud, it had to jump through the roof. It was funny, but anyway, then you had that hard rock aspect, all the drums that Neil's doing, the timing changes. Yep, it all blended so nice. And we also did that with Show Don't Tell. Yes, that was our my little sister that we liked to <laughs> listen to this beautiful jump. song. It's kind of hard to hear. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you're in the right place. A lot of my listeners agree with you that right. that's a a good album and an overlooked album. Uh, one of our episodes, I think Jeff Carrot's episode, I think that he was on this one. We called it the Hold Your Fire Support Group <laughs> because the whole episode we were just talking about how great it was. Uh, here are some more things that people sent this week. Uh, Mark Anthony speaks for a lot of people when he says he's upset with me <laughs> that I don't know the section names of the epic songs. Yeah, see, neither do I, but un- but fortunately, I own the album, so anytime I want, I can go read them. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, and he brought up the fact that... Uh, uh, sorry, I'm just turning my... If people are calling me, and I'm like, uh, I'm a little busy. Uh, he brought up, he's like, listen, I'm, I'm a little older than you. I understand it's probably because you're in the iTunes age, and you don't have the album notes in front of you. Yeah. And you're not staring at the back of the album while you listen. And while I did do that with CDs and the, the, the notebook in the right. CDs yep. the first time through, I don't do that every time. And the iTunes there, I was never into iTunes as much, I guess as much as I am now, as I beg you to go rate us on iTunes. Yep. But I did have an iPod, and the iPod contributed to that. To that. Well, to his in his defense, you know, I grew up in that era when you know you went and bought an album. It was this big, huge cardboard thing in your hands, and I did read every word usually on them. And I, you yeah, know, and I would too. You would know if you I had ever held an album, a piece of vinyl in my <laughs> life. <laughs> yeah, right. those big black CDs. I, uh, I got, I have Grace Under Pressure, and I have Moving Pictures. 
on vinyl. They were gifts from like my friends went to like a flea market and found them for four dollars and mm. oh, I'll give this to Jay. And I brought them up to school with me a few years ago where I the only record player I had access to was and I went into a listening room. It's a music school. We have listening rooms with every kind of media outlet you can have. And I just listened to those. I cranked up Grace Under Pressure and listened to them for a couple hours just to see like what it's like to listen to Rush as the cavemen listened to Rush. <laughs> <laughs> I give you that one. <laughs> uh, Mark Courier mentioned another weird thing that he's heard. We have these things we want to identify, like what's that thing at the end of Taishan or or the uh, what the heck was the other one I I said a couple weeks ago? Uh, I don't remember. He said, "What are these vocals at eight fifty five in the camera eye? What what are the what are they saying? What are they talking about?" If any of you have any idea what's what's being said there, send it to me and we'll let Mark know and the rest of you know because I don't have a clue. Well, you know, I have a theory of what it might be. Uh, seeing uh, the technology back then of in a recording studio, somebody left a mic on and some guys were having a conversation. <laughs> they were like, let's reverse that <laughs> and put some distortion on it and put it in the song. <laughs> and, and Neil and Getty and Alex said, hey, just leave it there because in, <laughs> in 30 years, they're going to go, hey, what were they saying at 855? They're like, yeah, we'll put this we'll, we'll put this in our 1981 record so that some guy on a podcast later on can... They're like, what's a podcast? Alex <laughs> well, was like, know, I don't know. <laughs> seeing the, you know, some of the spoofs they do of themselves and how funny these guys are, it wouldn't surprise me if that's all these things are. So uh, uh, another really cool thing that that you'll you'll enjoy bill middletown meyer dead we have this guy bill meyer listener on the show and i love giving him props because he's like he's got a good sense of humor but i I poke fun at him all the time he sent us this email about how he power windows is great i just can't get into like middletown like it's the weakest on the record and it's just eh. like he's like i like it it's just middletown dreams isn't that eh. and so i bust on him all the time and now i call him bill middletown meyer (laughs) so bill middletown meyer sends me uh, his top three live albums. Different Stages was one of them the, from the Test for Echo Tour. And he said one of the reasons he thinks it's great is the atmosphere uh, of the recording. You In the recording, you can hear, get a sense of the atmosphere. He said, you can hear the crowd interacting with the band. And I'm thinking, you're nuts. I've listened to that album a bunch of times. I don't hear any of that. Mm-hmm. And then he pointed it out. You can hear during the extended bass solo in Driven, it's just Getty playing. You can hear somebody in the audience yell, that's okay, Alex, shake it off. (laughs) Check it out. So it's cool to see things like that in a recording. And I have listened to that record a lot, but never, I guess maybe I just wasn't listening for anything audible from the audience because that's something new for me to experience uh one more thing jason von again he's he sent me some more stuff but this was uh, an interesting idea i've tried to shy away from negativity on the show early on we had donna helper on and she i asked her something like what song don't you like or something something along those lines and she's like i don't want to 
she said, why, why even bother? Like, mm. let's talk about the stuff we do like. And I've kind of, I've tried to keep that a theme throughout the show. So that's why I don't say, which, what are your three least favorite songs? What songs do you hate? That kind of thing. Uh, but it was interesting, interesting to hear what Jason had to say about it. Hey, Jay, how you doing? Jason Vaughn again. I got another question for you and your listeners. I really enjoy all the podcasts and hearing about everybody's favorite songs and what songs mean a lot to them, what songs change their lives, everything like that. I would now like to know what your top five least favorite Rush songs are. And I'm fascinated to hear what you say and what your listeners say. I'll just list mine very quickly. This doesn't mean I absolutely hate the song. They're just my top five, and I will skip them 99% of the time. Okay, so number one, Dog Years. I've never liked that song. I just think it's weird, and I'm just not a fan. Number two, Hand Over Fist from Presto. Uh, Every time I hear that song, it just makes me cringe a little bit. And I just imagine someone who's never heard Rush before listening to that as their first song and being like, oh, God. Number three, Roll the Bones. I know a lot of people like that song. They like the new rap and the, uh, and the past tour and all that. I'm just, I just never, ever got into that song. Number four, Between Sun and Moon. Uh, another song I just, I can't get into. It's just not one of my favorites. And number five, Face Up. Um, just the way Giddy says, Face Up. There's just something about it just irks me. And I've just never been a fan of that song. But I could have picked a lot more from Presto and Counterparts. Some of those songs I just never got into. But anyway, I just wanted to hear what you thought and what your listeners thought. Thanks a lot, Jay. Keep up the good work. I would just like to add, there are no bad Rush songs. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, we get what... And Jason agrees with that. I've talked to Jason enough. He, he loves it all. But um, Fa- Face Up gets so much crap. I don't understand. Face Up was a song I loved from the get-go. Uh, but I'm in the minority there for sure. People people think it's a little too cheesy. I would argue the rest of that album is cheesier than Face Up. Like you bet your life, it's got to be the cheesiest thing they've ever written. As much as I love it. Lastly, uh, Nick L. Nick L is 15. You guys, you know what that means? That means I'm not the youngest Rush geek ever. Okay, <laughs> Nick is officially. Almost a decade younger than me, and that's a big deal to me. Because <laughs> like, I get called a baby every single day reading these emails. Uh, Nick suggested a digital discussion. I'm going to roll with it. So let's roll the music. What song do you want to hear that they've never played live? What studio song do you want to hear? It's a great question, and we've all thought about this before. Obviously, each time they have a tour, we think about what song we we have to hear live. Okay? If you go to powerwindows.net or slash 2112.net or whatever it is, you know what I'm talking about, and you go into any tour set list, over on the right-hand side of the page is a small column that shows you every, uh, every studio song, every studio recording that has not been performed live, and you can go check it out there unless... You're like me and you know most of them anyway. I want to know which two you have. Send me two tracks that have never been performed live that you want to hear. You thinking about this? You got something? There's a list here if you want to see it. Okay. On the right-hand side of the page. So I've got two for you right now, and I thought about it for a while. Uh, I want to hear Freeze bad i think it would work live really well it's got a ton of energy it's 
it's kind of proggy. It's in five. It's in a weird meter. Uh, it, it utilizes the sound they have now. I think it, it would. I think it would absolutely kill live, and it would kill me too because I'd have a heart attack. The other one, I know you guys share this opinion with me. Uh, a motion detector. Those. That is definitely first or second on my list for tunes I gotta hear live, because a motion detector does everything right. In terms of balance between synth, bass, drums, guitar, um, it might be the deepest cut from Power Windows, right? Like, like Mystic Rhythms is a weird thing to do live, but it's happened. Middletown Dreams is was rare until recently. Now we're starting to see it get a lot of attention uh, in places like this on the podcast. But uh, Motion Detector doesn't get much love outside conversations like this. So uh, I think it would be perfect live. What do you got? Well, I think they should play all of them. <laughs> but uh, there's a couple in there I thought I have heard. Didn't they ever play Vapor Trails? No. They've never played that live. No, and that's weird because that album has hardly anything represented from it. It's a huge album. Right, right. It's got more than 12 tracks, I think. 13 or 14 tracks. Think about it. What's been played from it? One Little Victory a million times. Uh, Secret Touch on a few tours. Ghost Rider. Uh, well, now how it is. Right. And Ceiling Unlimited for half a tour. Am I forgetting anything? Uh, secret, Earthshine, of course. Touch, Earthshine. Earthshine. Yeah. I think they should definitely. They should definitely do different strings. I love that song, but that's just me. It's, it's I, got some piano in it. It's got piano in it. They'd have to bring in what's his name there. Hugh. But, uh, huh? Yeah. Hugh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Hugh Syme. Uh, that was one of the so losing it and different strings were the top two at least when I last checked vote getters on rushpetition.com. So of course losing it, you know it's it's well known that Rush is uh, Rush knows of Rush Petition, but I didn't think either of those would get any any play live, um, and different strings still didn't. Yeah. Available light, I'd love to hear live. Really, but they would never These do that. Are, yeah, uh, you're not alone there either, Dad. Uh, Brandon Dyke, I was was the first person to shock me with that when he came on the show and he said, "Oh, they're gonna play available light on R40, man. I promise." I'm very surprised not that I don't see scars on this list. It is on that. Uh, maybe they have done it live. If they have, it was on the Bones tour or the Presto tour. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Presto Tour came out on Presto. Because, I mean, it's like you talk about, I said there was no bad Rush songs. I even like that one. And it's got to do with the bass line, obviously. Even though he's playing it on a keyboard, Yeah, it's still, you know. It's funky. It's got a funky. I didn't know you liked that song that much. Well, it's not one of my favorites, but it's not one You'd that. you like to hear it a lot. It's not one that when it comes on, I skip it, you know. Now, people talk about how Neil implements that drum part from Scars in his solos. Mm-hmm. And that might be the reason we've never heard, or we don't hear it live anymore. Right, right. Uh, I'm sure somebody who was at the Presto tour and still remembers it, unlike my father, <laughs> uh, can tell us if they've played that. And I'm, we've got power a windows in front of us. We, we could look it up, but. Uh, we got we got more people to bring in here. Uh, so Nick L, thank you very much. That's a great idea, man. Send us your two that you want to hear or that you wish you could hear live. High water, definitely. I have a really cool guest today for our new world guest, and I have one person to thank for that, and that's David Sharp, who suggested the idea and kind of was the catalyst for bringing this person in. David Sharp, thank you very much, man. 
So can I can I just add one thing before I leave? Yes. Okay. I just wanted to say to all you uh, Rushcast fans out there, if you really enjoy this show, you can thank me. Well, I, <laughs> You're gonna take all the credit. Well, if it uh, wasn't if it wasn't for me, there would be no Jay. And obviously, if it wasn't for me, there would be no Rush fan named Jay. <laughs> and then there would be no Rushcast. That's so, selfish of you. I, it's I very like selfish, it. but that's okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You uh, should, I think you should have everyone in your life call you Mr. Mantis from now Mr. on. Mr. Mantis. <laughs> okay. Thank you very the, much. The main Mantis business. <laughs> All right, so you're going you're gonna, to uh, hang out for the guests or you're going to split? I can split. You're going you're gonna to get out of here? Yeah, I'll let him come in and take the mic. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, thanks. My pleasure. Today's new, new World guest, courtesy of David Sharp, is somebody that I think all of you have seen on YouTube at one point or another. Please welcome Jacob Moon to the show. How you doing, Jacob? Hey, Jay. How's it going, man? It's going really well, and I'm glad that you're here. I think a lot of people will be interested to hear from you, as most of us have seen your recording of Subdivisions. Nice. Well, How long nice. ago I, was that made? You know, I'm just thinking back. I'm trying to think when that was. I think that was... Um, released in 2008 on on Christmas Eve. <laughs> the, uh, oh wow! Which is which is not the time to release a, a YouTube video, by the way. Just in case right. anyone out there is considering, you know, dropping it like it's hot on Christmas Eve. Don't don't do that. <laughs> uh, it's uh, it's not the time to do it. But uh, and which was amazing to me because we released it. Uh, I celebrated Christmas. I went on a holiday with my wife to New York City, and I checked. Uh, the YouTube insights uh, from a laptop in New York and uh, it, the thing had kind of blown up and there was, you know, it had gone uh, what I call Canadian viral, which is like when there's thousands of views <laughs> on the video <laughs> as opposed to millions, you know? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, which was cool. It was neat to just get all these, all these, all this feedback from, which I was kind of dreading actually from, from Rush fans. Because uh-huh. I know Rush fans can be, uh, you know, pretty exacting, pretty tough to please, pretty uh, loyal as well to their uh, to their heroes. And if anybody comes along and and uh, takes a whack at, at, at one of their beloved <laughs> songs, uh, they could get a whack back. So uh, I, I was kind of worried about it, but actually, it, it came uh, it came up pretty clean. I mean, there was there was a lot of good comments and a lot of encouraging words from people on, online, and uh, and it kind of went from there. If you're wondering what what we're talking about right now, I'm sure you've seen this video. This is a video of Jacob by himself solo up on a rooftop, correct? Yeah. He's playing subdivisions on his acoustic guitar. He switches to electric guitar a few times. There's some looping involved, some very difficult things uh, happening as an arrangement. And it's really impressive, and I'm sure you've seen it. Uh so this wasn't recorded on Christmas Eve, right? Or, or no, in no, the this winter? Was, I, I, this was recorded uh, again on another interesting occasion. It was on September 11th of 2008. Wow. Um, yeah, we went up on the rooftop uh, of a place called the Staircase Theater um, without really telling anyone in charge. Uh, we just kind of went for it, asked for you know forgiveness later, as opposed, for, as opposed to permission, um, <laughs> and uh, it just involved kind of getting out on a. On uh, you know a little a kind of a catwalk, kind of a, a fire escape, and and kind of pushing the amps up onto the ledge, 
and then climbing mm-hmm. up ourselves and uh, and really no you know protective uh, fencing around <laughs> the area like no one would insure this shoot you know what I'm saying so we just kind of <laughs> right. thought we're just gonna go for it uh, we got we had by the time we set everything up and I had everything ready to go and they had their cameras ready uh, we had basically had time to shoot it three times mm-hmm. and so. Uh, which you know kind of worried me a little bit because I was like, what if I get the video on one time, but I get the audio on the other, and what's going to happen there? Yeah. Um, and it took me a couple times to get into it, and by the third time, I thought we had a good audio take, and I was just praying that we had enough light in that shot to to use sure. the, the 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 picture. And uh, as it turns out, when we listen back to the track, I had played it at exactly the same tempo. All three times, <laughs> which which, <laughs> which meant, is perfect, you, <laughs> which is great because it gives you all this editing leeway, right? So when you go into yep. the editing suite, you're like, okay, I can actually put this picture with that audio. <laughs> it was a pretty, I had kind of standardized the performance somewhat by then because uh, I was trying to make sure that I knew what I was doing as opposed to improvising up there. Um, yep. I mean, the only thing that was improvised really was the guitar solo. I wasn't sure what I was going. I never really had a plan for the guitar solo, so uh-huh. I just uh, so you can kind of hear me winging it off the cuff on that one, but. Uh, <laughs> Um, but yeah, so that's, and, and what came out is, is what you see and, and this, and this kind of what, uh, made me, uh, a name with, with Rush fans and with Rush sure. themselves actually. So what, what, a, why subdivisions? Was it a song that you liked especially well? Was it, did you come up with the arrangement and say, this is really cool. I need to show this to people or what, why subdivisions? Yeah. So I had seen Rush in concert at their R30 tour. Um, and just had heard them play that song and thought, wow, what an, what an incredible song. And, and I was always told that if it's a great song, you should be able to just play it, you and your acoustic guitar. And so I went home and I tried that. And uh, it's sort of like trying to make your own homemade Sprite, you know. They say it's just lemon and lime, <laughs> but uh, there's, more, there's more to it than that, as, as Mitch Hedberg would say. Um, and so I tried to kind of figure out a way to, uh, to kind of bottle this thing, and, and uh, it, was, it wasn't easy. And, and I, I had to try different tunings. Uh, I was just going to really, ask I mean, you that. Let's yeah. let's get a little geeky here. Uh, there, oh. I mean, the, the original tune is starts in F sharp. Was there a weird tuning that you had to use? Well, I don't. I would never deign to sing it in Getty's key. Like that's that's not a mortal key. That's, that's <laughs> a, it's a something else there. And so I, I I sang it in the key that I could I could do it in, which essentially uh-huh. was um, the key of uh, of A minor. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so it was just a, a completely different key and, and it just, it just, it sat better in my, in my, uh, I mean the first, the opening chords are, are, uh, the key of, um, uh, E essentially, but, uh, then it goes to, uh, there's a, there's a key change essentially in the song. There's two different uh-huh. key centers that the, the song operates in. So you have to come up with a tuning that will accommodate both of them. And uh, so that's what took me the time was trying to find a way. And I kind of invented this tuning. I'd never really seen anybody use it before, but it was essentially called G minor tuning where you, uh, you drop some of the strings down a step, some of them down a half step. And, and, uh, and in the end it gives you D G D G B flat D from lowest to highest. And then uh, I put the cable wow. on the third fret uh, or uh, was, it, was it the third fret, second fret. Um, and then there, there's, uh, there's a minor essentially. Um, so, uh, so I, I kind of played it a lot and my wife was kind of like, what are you, are you still playing that song? Are you still trying to figure that song? And I'm like, I would not let it go. Like I was like, no, 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 I've come this far. I'm going to figure out what, uh, what I need to do to, to play the song all by myself. And I knew it involved looping. I knew it probably involved two guitars 
And then I figured out later it probably involved some other things too, uh, a kick uh, drum sound that I used called a, a porchboard bass where you step on a piece of wood and it makes kind of a thump sound. Sure. And then I, and then I used this little handy-dandy voice recorder um, to say subdivisions, uh, to mimic that, that part in the song that your listeners would be familiar with where uh, a low menacing voice kind of says subdivisions. You know, that's what, I don't know who that, who, there's just some debate about who that voice actually is. Whether right. It's, uh, whether it's a, <laughs> a broadcaster from City TV or whether it's Neil, but uh, um, uh, that was <laughs> that was me essentially on the on the on the video recording uh, saying that, and then uh, so I kind of put all these elements together, and it was a, very much a you have to sort of choreograph it. You know what I mean? I was, you I was, kinda, you're taking yeah. the words right out of my mouth, man. I was just gonna say it's almost there's a choreography to it. You, had, you did and, a lot of dancing. Yeah, I did a lot of dancing exactly. So I would actually write out all the steps in longhand <laughs> and describe it on a, on a full scat piece of paper. And I would just write out and I would just study the piece of paper and visualize myself doing everything that it said to do. Sure. And then when it came time to do it, I found that I was, my limbs were more ready to, to, to take that on. So now Jacob talked about how subdivision is in essentially two tonal centers at different times. Uh, it's very rare for, in music and any, especially pop music, to have a song that starts out in essentially F sharp and have it end a half step higher in G. That's that's a very uh, dissonant kind of relationship, and I think yeah. it makes that's what makes Rush in general very unique in that song itself. Yeah, I mean, I mean, as I as I can sort of see it, it's uh, the two tonal centers that I played it in were were the were E. And then also uh, A minor, and right. so uh, and it's very much E major, as in like you know the key of E major and all the all the four sharps and everything else. And then it goes to A to A minor, which has no sharps and no flats. And so that relationship uh, huh. is is it makes sense in terms of E being the dominant chord of A minor. Um, and so it's not quite as dissonant as as all that, but it's but it's uh, at the same time it it's it's two totally different uh, feelings as well. That they get, one gives you kind of a happy, strident feeling; the other one kind of gives you a more ominous feeling. And which is I think is very appropriate for the song, which is that there's this beautiful facade to the suburbs uh, that it, they look nice. Every third house is exactly the same. Uh, it looks all pretty and everything and, and, and uh, s- symmetrical, but at, the, at its heart, at its core, there's something very, uh, very wrong, you know, and, and there's, mm-hmm. uh, there's, there's some, some dysfunction and, and some, uh, some friction. And I think the song brings that out because it changes not only key signatures, but also time signatures and goes into, you know, uh, it's like one of the, like in the seven, four, uh, or seven, eight, seven. you know, and there's yep. a seven, there's a six, there's a, there's a three, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a four, there's lots of things going on. And so, uh, yeah, to kind of balance all of that stuff too, and make sure that I had mastery over the, the rhythm of the song, not just the, uh, the fluctuating harmony was, was part of the challenge of the song. And, uh, but I always like to do that. I always like to take songs that I could kind of barely play. And, but I know they have something to teach me that if I stick with it long enough, I actually might get better as a player just by learning how to play it. Yeah. And uh, you can do that just by learning how to play the rote parts, like the exact parts from the original master recordings from Rush. And you can certainly learn a lot that way. But I find that when you, t- when you digest it and then you completely reinterpret it, 
that you can uh, discover something else, uh, which is what you want to say about this particular song and how you want to express it. Um, and so, uh, and, and that's something you see people doing all the time with other more simple <laughs> pop songs, but it's not often something that you see people doing with uh, more iconic and idiosyncratic bands like Rush and Yes um, and Genesis because the parts are also signature. It almost feels like they can't be changed or rearranged. Right. Yeah. Um, but I've always had kind of a composer's slash arranger's brain, and so I'm always trying to think about how else might you take the same material, repackage it, re-emphasize it. Like the emphasis on my in my version was very much on the words of the song and try to take away some of the production so that you could just hear the words. And, oh, uh, okay. And, and so that's that's something that I think you can do. And it's actually a... It's a, it's a uh, it's a it's a technique you can use when you're trying to decide what to uh, rearrange is pick a song that you can uh you can expose a layer of the song that is is being obscured by the original version of it tell us uh tell me and my listeners about you as a fan like yeah. let's forget the video for a second what what eras do you like how are you introduced to the band what are your favorite albums yeah, I mean, I was introduced to the band uh, with Farewell to Kings, and um, that would have been after probably um, Grace Under Pressure was released. But the Farewell to mm-hmm. Kings was what I was hipped to first, and then got into Moving Pictures and uh, Grace Under Pressure and uh, uh, Permanent Waves and uh, stuff like that. And um, and uh, even like songs like New World Man were, you know, very, uh, very much played around my house all the time. And so I liked the pop, uh, the sort of succinct side of Rush, as well as the longer form, more, um, you know, fantastical, uh, you know, Xanadu uh, stuff as well. The stuff that took you to another place and made and and just really activated the imagination of the teenage boy, you know, who's just, who's living in his imagination most of the time, is barely paying attention in school and is just looking for any excuse to escape to another world. And that was, for me, that was, Rush took me to that place. Wow. Now, uh, let's talk guitarists. You are a guitarist primarily. Let's talk about Alex and Mm -hmm. your favorite gear, your favorite sound from his different, or or his favorite playing style. What are some albums where you think this is his best guitar playing? Wow, yeah. I mean, yeah, he's such a consistently great player across the records, but I mean, there there's stuff obviously that you can you keep coming back to and and for me I I I love that stuff on Farewell to Kings where he can effortlessly go between, you know, cranking out a Les Paul uh, you know, and then all the distorted uh, riffology of of Xanadu and um and Farewell to Kings, but uh but also you know the more acoustic side of closer to the heart and um and songs like the trees even you know i mean the the classical stuff that he was able to to pull apart i didn't it's just amazing to see that kind of range and i think it's interesting he came from a time when i think that was expected uh because you had your jimmy pages your steve house uh steve morse people who could play any style and any kind of guitar and frequently did on their recordings and um and so I think uh, it's safe to say that Alex would have digested some of that and, and knew that that was part of the job description for a guitar player was to 
be capable of producing lots of different sounds and um, being able to, to kind of jam in different styles. So you can hear traces of, um, you know, the sort of the reggae pop that was popular in the, in the early 80s. Um, sounds like uh, from bands like The Clash and The Police found its way into the music of Rush. Um, and everything from that to Zeppelin to Yes, you know, there was lots of lots of influences that that came to bear on in his guitar playing, and and they're all bands that I like too. So yeah, it's easy to listen to. Have you met the band? Well, yes, I have. I uh, so you listeners may or may not know, but I I received an email from Getty Lee shortly after that Subdivisions video was released. And uh, he basically just said, like, hey, great job. Uh, the band has all heard the song. We love it. Um, and uh, keep up the good work. And I'm like, okay, I can, I can die now. <laughs> that's, uh, that's all I needed to hear. That's fantastic. Uh, yeah, I, I remember that's... my first email from Getty Lee. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> that's good. That's pretty that's, cool, man. It's really I, cool. I thought right? I had heard that, uh, that I heard something like Jacob Moon was unofficially, like, supported or endorsed by Getty Lee, you know, like get, you had Getty Lee's approval or something like that. I well, didn't know if I had dreamt it or what. Yeah, no, that's all right. There's, there's more to the story. I mean, I thought, I thought that's kind of where it would end with those guys, but I actually got an email for, uh, and a phone call, phone call from their management about eight months later. Um, which, you know, the joke is always, I, I was, I always thought it was them calling to sue me for using right. the song without asking them in the video. But uh, no, they wanted to know if I was willing to come and perform my version of subdivisions at Russia's induction into the Canadian Songwriters Hall of Fame. Oh, cool! And so, uh, so I thought about it for a moment. I said, you know, let let me uh, uh, let me check my schedule, and I'll uh, I'll get back to you about that. Uh, uh, no, it took me about uh, literally three seconds, and I was like, yes, absolutely, I'll be there. And uh, I, and but immediately after I said yes, I was like, well, okay, now what? You know. Now I'm going to yeah. be playing for the hoi polloi of the Canadian music industry in this big black tie event. Uh, how's that going to go down? And how can I make <laughs> sure that the that the that the conditions are just right for this, you know, very difficult performance to come off without a hitch? And so, uh, yeah, your listeners can can Google that as well. Uh, you know, uh, Jacob Moon at the Canadian Songwriters Hall of Fame gala. And there's a there's a actually it's not on my YouTube channel, but they've posted it from the Canadian Songwriters Hall of Fame, um, and it's up there now. So uh, you can see my actual performance for the guys on the night. And um, immediately oh, after cool. that, uh, yeah, immediately after that performance, um, I got to meet the guys in Rush, and um, I got to meet Neil. He was he didn't get on a motorcycle. He he stuck around. And, <laughs> I uh, think that's even uh, that's. You're in a small group of people. <laughs> well, who have yes, met I am. All three of them. I, I feel very, very fortunate. Uh, you know, definitely. And so, I got this opportunity to uh, to speak to him, and he came over and he said some words to me. I don't know what he said. I, my eyes kind of glazed over. I was so starstruck, you know. But uh, he uh, yeah. he basically said, you know, thank you for doing the song like that because I always heard it as a songwriter's song and. He said, I wrote the lyrics, you know, um, to be sung in a certain way. And because we're Rush, we play it in this big rock style. But I always heard it in a, in a different uh, context. Man, that is like, and, uh, that is the dream. That is the ultimate yeah. compliment. 
from for Neil Peart, <laughs> the guy who wrote the actual the the lyrics and the song's heart, to come up to you and say, "No, that's that's what I wanted." <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was pretty insane. So, uh, so I, I thanked him for his kind words, and I um, I basically held up my voice recorder and said, "Can you say?" subdivisions and uh, so he did into my voice recorder now when i when i perform the song that's the version that i use is his voice <laughs> saying subdivisions so he's kind of accompanying me in every performance now which is kind that's of awesome um yeah so and i got to talk to alex he wrote on my hand in sharpie he said i love you <laughs> on my hand and he was tearful and gave me a big hug and he was just he was so emotional you know that's so, so funny he's the big uh, teddy bear right the that's group. the most alex lifeson thing ever <laughs> Is him right? Yeah, right. I love exactly. you on your yeah. hand. <laughs> it's true. It's true. So uh, yeah. So there's there's those are my kind of that's what's one of my brushes with Rush over the last few years. The other one, um, the other one came this past summer when I I uh, my uh, my version of their Limelight song scored uh, number two uh, in a worldwide yeah, yeah, competition yeah. for the best Rush cover song. So Listen, that was, that was uh, before our forty. The tour started. I, I saw that competition and thought, "This is my best shot at getting a chance to meet this band." You know, like I have some sort of—I'm not just relying on some radio sweepstakes or something. Um, yeah. And I thought, "Yeah, I'll record a tune and I'll—I'll I'll upload it, and it'll be the the greatest thing the internet's ever heard." And I'll get to meet Rush. And the first thing I saw when I went to that website was that Jacob Moon had already posted a cover, and I've. <laughs> Threw my computer across the room. I'm like, well, I can forget about that. Oh. <laughs> and you, oh, you it brother. seemed like you were up early. So had that song been written already? That song was uh, that. Well, they wrote it a long time ago, but I I, I covered it. Um, no, I mean you didn't write it. You didn't write it for previous. the competition. You right? No, I didn't. I didn't record it for okay. the competition. No, I, I. It was already ready to go, and uh, but it had never been because I'm an independent artist. It had never been officially published by any publisher, uh-huh. you know, and that was their only stipulation. They said they don't care if, it, if you made it previously. It just could, couldn't have been published by a publisher recently I see. I, before before this competition. So, um, so there were people who were like literally, yeah, like scrambling in the studio trying to record something. But I just happened to have some. It was the easiest thing in a lot of ways. Just to, you know, I basically just pressed upload <laughs> and. Uh, and then, and then I was in the competition. So I, I feel for all the people who put their blood, sweat, and tears into a uh, into a recording that month because that would have been uh, a race to the finish to get it done in time. And you finished sure. second overall. Second overall, yeah. I was I was kind of bummed actually because I really had my heart set on first place. But <laughs> and, uh, and what do you do as Jacob Moon? You show up to that meet and greet and you, you put your arms out. You're like, hey guys, guess what? <laughs> I did it again. <laughs> I'm the best ever. Well, again. they would have. Yeah, no, no, not at all. But they, uh, you know, to get to meet them again would have been nice. But I, uh, you know, they're they're they're. I consider them to be, you know, um, like they know who I am. I don't. I don't know if they. I probably think about them and their music much more often than they ever think about me and my music. Okay, hands down. But it's just nice to know that, you know, when they come to town, I can call up Peggy and say, hey, you know, is there a couple of tickets we can do at the door and I can come to the show and, and check it out. And uh, and I got to see them when they filmed their DVD this past summer and it was a terrific show. Cool. And you saw, you saw Ben Mink, didn't really you? did a bang up job. You What's saw that? Ben Mink? I'm losing it. 
Ben Make, I missed him. Actually, no, I missed him because I came on the night. Oh previous. no! <laughs> um, and so I didn't see Ben. But actually, I, I think if you if you watch the video that they just put out for Roll the Bones, uh, you'll see me and my buddy Richard Banura in it. Uh, <laughs> you'll see me like holding up the rock and roll sign with my hands. Uh, just shoot, they shot me from behind, uh, and just a crowd shot. But I'm like, I recognize those hands, and I, that's where, those are my seats. So I'm well, totally yeah. Where were you sitting? We'll look for you. <laughs> I was sitting in the 118s, so uh, off to the you know uh, on Getty's side, uh, up in the up in the stands. <laughs> That's so, great. Yeah. Uh, what, let, let me ask. I, I usually ask this to every guest. What's one song uh, on the R40 set list that you were you were totally stoked to hear? It, it, yeah, it was totally Xanadu. Like, complete, I was so thrilled <laughs> when they played it. I thought I'd never get to hear that song. Like, I didn't think. I wasn't sure what the band thought of the song. I wasn't sure. I mean, it's a it's a long song, so it's a it's a big chunk of time to commit to an older song, and they've got lots of those. And and so, you know, I, I was so so excited to to hear that one. And uh, you know, I mean, anything off Moving Pictures really does it for me mm-hmm. as well. But uh, but it was a thrill to hear Roll the Bones too. I mean, I guess I'd never really heard that in concert before, so I, that was. And it was hilarious. The video montage <laughs> they put together was hysterical. You know, and I wanted to mention this <laughs> so, on the show, uh, and I keep forgetting. What's really interesting to me is when songs are played frequently live, but they're always different. Uh, yeah. Interestingly enough, Dreamline is the biggest one that comes to mind for me. It's from the same album as Roll the Bones, where yeah. the guitar solo is different every single time it's played live. He has... Mm. They doubled the length of that solo, and the first half of it is improvised. It's always different. It's always interesting. I... Yeah, well, that that is that is notable because Rush is not um, a band that you know it leans heavily on improvisation in their arrangements. They they could, but they I think even even Alex's solos can, well, although they vary certainly uh, in uh, subtle ways from time to time. There's certain arcs and there's certain um, it's like a little part of the song. It's like a composition, you know, within its within its within a composition, and so. They honor that and 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 the way they perform it, but uh, it's always exciting to see them go off book and into uncharted territory because it's uh, you get to kind of hear the soul of the musician in that moment. It's it's it's, it's kind of exciting. Yeah. And, and the other time is Roll the Bones in the tune when the rap starts. Alex turns way down. He he's got his volume pedal and he backs yeah. out, but he's usually shreds when he plays it live he's he's going nuts behind that rap in r40 he played nothing he dropped out completely you know and it's some it's things like that that make the tune different and make it pull a little bit harder for the listener yeah 100 percent um what what kind of things are you doing as a musician now where can we find your stuff well, I just actually put out a new record a couple of weeks ago, and it's called uh, 20 Years, The Best of Jacob Moon, and it's 20, uh, it's, it's 20 years in the making. It's, it's all the stuff that I've made over the last 10 albums, uh, the best of that, and uh, the fans voted on it, and we've got a track listing of 16 songs on the CD and 10 songs on the vinyl, um, and uh, I've got vinyl and CD versions of those songs out now and available at jacobmoon.com, so jacobmoon.com yeah very cool you're on iTunes as well yeah you bet iTunes uh, slash iTunes.com slash jacobmoon and give us your YouTube one more time yeah that's the same thing youtube.com slash jacobmoon make it easy for you 
You stole all the Jacob Moon uh, domain names. It's perfect. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man, I'm I'm really glad to have talked to you. Like I said a long time ago, when I saw your video as a, a really young Rush fan, I never once thought I'd I'd be having a conversation with you about the band's music and your music. So, thank you very much for coming on my show. Hey, it was my pleasure, Jay. Thanks so much for having me. Well, that was fun. I uh, enjoy talking to people like this. I do. I enjoy doing these shows too. So thanks for being a part of it. And we will see you soon. What a chunky, hefty episode uh, that I'm proud of. We'll see you next week. Brought to you no, by. I say it. Brought to you by Knickerbocker.